What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Self Helpless. I'm Kelsey Cook. I'm Delaney Fisher. And today we are doing a whole episode about generalized anxiety disorder, which, gosh, if there's a theme that we've had on the podcast forever, it's been anxiety. (laughs) We've talked about it many times, but we've never had an expert on. And today we are joined by Luana Marquez. She is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard for God's sakes. She um, is cited as one of the leading experts in cognitive behavioral therapy. She's been on Good Morning America. She's been in the New York Times. I mean, she's really, she's a big deal. She knows what she's talking about. And it was such a pleasure to have her on and get to learn so much about anxiety on a clinical level, you know? Incredible. And she's the former president of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Like we got the anxiety person today. It was so exciting for me. (laughs) I really just felt like, okay, what would I ask if this was like a private consultation with a doctor, you know, like, yeah, this is is just like such a joy that we get to do this work Kels, because like, yeah, I get so much out of it where I'm like, wow, I learned a lot that I could really implement into my own life. And then we're also having people tune in that they can get help with it. Yeah. This really jazzed me up. (laughs) Yeah. I know some of the guests we have on, it feels like having backstage passes for whatever the topic, it's like, we're talking to the person about that episode's topic and it's yeah it's very exciting so So we uh yeah we hope that you guys found it as helpful as we did I know Del and I both got a lot out of it so um this is coming out on Monday March 6th so that means I was just in Cincinnati I hope I had a great time and I will be in Kearney Nebraska and in Minneapolis uh this month and next month in April I will be in San Francisco Rosemont Chicago Denver uh 
Um, and then Uncasville, Salt Lake City, Burbank, Phoenix. So many more coming up. Go to KelseyCook.com and get those tickets for the nice tri tour. I, uh, yeah, I, I just can't wait. As we record this, the tour is kicking off this weekend because we're recording this in early January and I am so excited to get back out on the road and see you guys. Yay. So exciting. I love it. Yes. Um, uh, so yeah, if you are a licensed mental health professional and you're growing your own practice or you've grown your practice and you kind of want to expand beyond that, love to have you at my other podcast, the minimalist business podcast. It's available at delaneyfisher.com. It's completely free, but it is a private show and I cannot, I am just I'm loving this. Um, this was a, a, a rather new pivot for me in the last several months that I've really just honed in on, on solely supporting mental health professionals. And I am so grateful for the clients I have. They are fucking powerhouses in the mental health space. They are really innovative. Um, the community that's happening over there is so freaking cool. And I just like, I'm really loving it. So we, we'd love to have you. We're talking about, you know, unique strategy and the the very specific nuances of your industry over there that you have to navigate. And I am interviewing not only, you know, licensed mental health professionals, but service providers who support you as well. Um, finance people, legal, that kind of stuff. So just really excited. DelaneyFisher.com if you want to come over and uh, take a look at it. Tune yeah. in. That's and so all great. entrepreneurs are welcome, but that's who we, who we support over there. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get into our interview. We hope you guys like it. All right. Dr. Luana, thank you so much for being here today. As you know, we love to kick off the show with our guest's favorite or least favorite quote. So do you have anything that you'd like to share with us? Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, I grew up in Brazil and my favorite author in Brazil is Paulo Coelho and he wrote The Alchemist. And my favorite quote since I'm 16 because it got me out of poverty and in the U.S. is the idea that um, if you want anything, the universe conspires for you to have it. And so that's Paulo Coelho for you. So good. Kelsey, that's one of your favorite quotes, right? Yes, and one of my one of my favorite uh, books. We just had a guest on um, Delianne, the money coach, yes. who uh, had a quote from that as well. It's such a good one. I feel like it resonates with so many people. So so good. All right, shall we get into all the juice? Are we ready? <laughs> Absolutely, always. Okay. So, could you just start off by explaining what is generalized anxiety anxiety disorder? How does it happen? All that good stuff. Absolutely. Well, generalizing anxiety disorder is about worry, right? And we all worry. In fact, uh, you know, last night I was thinking about this and meeting with you guys, excited about it. So I was about to fall asleep and my brain went, wow, did I prepare for that podcast? How is it going to go? And then it jumped to like, have a new book coming out in June called Bold Move. And I was like, wow, I haven't got blurbs for the book yet. How is it going to work? I don't know any celebrities. Next thing you know, I was worrying about my kid and my brain started to race. Right. So we all have been there. We're trying to fall asleep. Our brains race and we're like, what's going on? And and the first thing to say about generalizing anxiety disorder is worry is normal. We all worry. That is not generalizing anxiety disorder. What I had last night was a lot of worries about different things, but eventually I fell asleep. I woke up feeling rested. In contrast to, let me share an example of a patient, my Mary, who is also a successful author, but in her case, when she starts to worry, she can't fall asleep. Her brain's racing like the monkey mind. She worries about her kid and then the book and then her husband. And so it's worry that's uncontrollable, is excessive. 
One time Mary said to me, you know, I was cooking dinner and I was so preoccupied with what I had to do the next day. And was my kid doing okay? That like she made the sauce and she said, it's time for dinner. But she never boiled the pasta. She completely forgot the water was boiling, but her worries completely interfered with her ability to perform. And so that's really the way to think about generalized anxiety disorder is worry. It's uncontrollable. It's everywhere in your life. It has to last at least for six months. And it has to be more days than not, meaning on average, you're worrying about worrying all the time and you end up finding yourself tired, irritable, muscle tension, right? But it's not just that, it has to also affect your life. Like in Mary's case, she forgot to cook dinner, right? She one time nearly forgot to pick up her kids and you start to see, I think about a sort of an infection everywhere in your life. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. And how does GAD, like how does it differ from other anxiety disorders like panic disorder or social anxiety and all the other stuff out there? Think about them as an umbrella. The umbrella is anxiety disorders. So all of them have a a piece of it that's related to being anxious, but the focus of fear is different. So for generalized anxiety disorder, I'm going to worry about worry and my brain is going to be that monkey mind. Panic disorder, we're talking about a focus of fear on physical sensations. So the person is terrified of either having a panic attack or having a panic attack and not being able to escape, right? That's the focus of fear. When you're talking about social anxiety disorder, you're afraid of being evaluated, of people making fun of you. And so they all have a different symptom, so to speak, but they all are related to this idea that anxiety feels uncomfortable and the way it shows up for all of us is different. Mm, got it. Interesting. Yeah. This is one of those ones that I feel um, more than other disorders, people can kind of misdiagnose themselves or just self-diagnose, just assume that they have it because they worry. Because like you said, we all from, you know, one time or another do worry about things, but it's just not, I think it's harder for people to know when it's a problem. So I am grateful to hear your clinical explanation of like, it has to kind of meet these criteria of a certain time span of it going on and like how often in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Delaney, I know this is something we both were kind of curious about. How do you, how do doctors know the difference between somebody having ADHD or generalized anxiety disorder? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, they have different flavors. And, and one thing we should be thoughtful about is that all of the mental health, you know, diagnosis have a lot of comorbidity, meaning they share similar traits. Right. For example, irritability, you have when you're depressed, when you have GD, you have when sometimes you are, have panic. So I think sometimes they're so similar, that's hard to separate. But for ADHD, we're talking more about distractibility, difficulty concentrating, um, hyper-focus. You know, like somebody with ADHD might look at something and hyper-focus on something and lose track of everything else. GD is a lot more generalized. You, you see this sort of like chronic, mild to moderate worry affecting every domain in your life. But on average, it's not like that person can't focus at all, that they're really having some trouble. With some effort, they can, um, but they manifest different. 
Yeah, that's it's so interesting because I think for the last probably year and a half or so, I was convinced I had ADHD. And when I finally um, saw a you know, professional and I talked to them about my symptoms, she said, this is anxiety. Like this is generalized anxiety. I'm like, How? what? There's so many similarities. And then before that, I was thinking that maybe it was um, something called cyclothymia because I felt like there was rhythms to my anxiety and stuff like that. So I was really shocked to hear that because I just assume, well, everybody has anxiety. So this has to be like something different or something extra or, you know, something I just don't know much about yet. So I was really shocked to learn that, that what looked like ADHD in me was generalized anxiety. That was really shocking. Um, so are there any other like misconceptions about GAD or other anxiety disorders that people really need to know about? Well, first, thanks for sharing, Elena. It's really, yeah. I mean, I hear this a lot, sort of this idea of like, we diagnose on what's affecting us, right? And anxiety is so broad. And we keep forgetting that when we are anxious, what happens to our brain, right? We are in our emotional brain. And whenever our amygdala, our fight or flight part of the brain is on, we can't focus. Our prefrontal cortex is either offline or really quiet. And that's probably why you felt like you had ADHD because you couldn't concentrate. You can't focus, I'm assuming, making a judgment here. But, um, and, and that's just the brain in heightened state of anxiety. When we have a lot of anxiety, the brain just gets stuck and it cannot. It's like we say, oh, I was so anxious, I couldn't think. Most of the time, you actually can't think, right? And that's one of the misconceptions that, you know, anxiety is just something we handle. And I don't, I don't think about it that way. Anxiety usually is not the problem. It's what we do when we're anxious. Sometimes we get so anxious that we sit and we just start thinking and thinking and thinking, and we never get anywhere. And that's where we get to like GAD, for example. It's thinking about thinking. Instead of I'm anxious, what am I anxious about? What can I do? Right? So I don't think about anxiety the problem. I think the problem is that we avoid when we feel anxious. So if you're anxious about a work thing, you just don't approach your job, your boss, because you're feeling anxious. And then you, what happens? You feel even more anxious. And so I, 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 all of that to say, I think a lot of people misdiagnose because they don't really understand what anxiety can do to our bodies. It's the first piece. In terms of your question about GAD and misconceptions, I think a lot of people just snap out of it. You can, you know, it's going to be fine. Just, just don't worry about it. There is nothing worse to anybody to tell you not to worry when you can't control your worry. It's weird. Right. It's like, right. If I could do it, don't you think I'd have done it? Like, we right. can't. If you're talking about a clinical diagnosis, we can't just snap out of it. It doesn't happen. You're going to need some help and you're going to need some treatment to be able to retrain your brain to not worry all the time. And what are those go-to kind of first-line treatments for GAD? So there are two really types of treatments that are shown to be very efficacious. One of them is any kind of mindfulness-based intervention. In the past, maybe seven or eight years, um, Suercillo and um, Liz Rummer at UMass have done incredible work showing that you can't really use mindfulness. In fact, they have a book called The Mindful Way Through Anxiety, Break Free from Chronic Worry and Reclaim Your Life. And it's yeah. Driven, it's incredible. And if you practice it, you can really slow down the brain. The second approach is under cognitive behavior therapy, and it has been, it's evidence proven, and it really shows you how to think differently, to not get stuck on that worry, how to reframe your thinking. And those are really the first lines of treatment. 
Okay. So the, the mindfulness one that you're talking about, is that kind of like meditation based, like trying to be present, trying to stop um, a spiral of worry before it starts? It's absolutely mindful and meditation based. There's a specific protocol that they've run through, but the reality is meditation is probably one of the best things we can do to either fight or prevent worries because we are basically teaching our brain to be in the present moment. And if you think about generalizing anxiety disorder and Delaney, I don't know if you experienced this, but you're in the future or in the past. You're not ever in the present. (laughs) Right. Yes, it's very challenging. And I have found meditation to be super beneficial. And then I will talk to a a lot of other people about meditation and they seem to be like, oh, it doesn't help me. Maybe I'm not doing it right, all that stuff. So the person who is not kind of a believer in adding that to their kind of self-care practice, what might be going on why they don't think meditation is working or effective for them? A couple of reasons I've heard that people have said this. The first one is this. Meditation is not a one time I sit, I meditate for five minutes is done. I think about this as like building a six pack. You can't like go to the gym once and be like, oh yeah, my core is flat. I'm awesome. It doesn't work that way. You have to do those abs again and again. And when you first exercise in your physical body, you don't get strong overnight, right? And so we somehow have this societal misconception that meditation, you should just get it, should happen right away. And you should feel calm and relaxed. That's not meditation. Meditation Mm -hmm. is bringing your attention to the present moment, staying with your breath or whatever practice you have, and really observing what's going on in your mind while coming back to the present. And that kind of focus attention will take a lot of time. And it's hard to do because if your brain is in the monkey mind, it's sort of saying, well, slow down your brain. You sort of can't. And I think that's where people get stuck. This idea that like, you should just slow down and meditate. No, you're going to sit and you're going to see all of that happening, right? In meditation, we talk about sort of clouds passing by, you know, you observe them, you let them go. It takes practice. And I think that's why people say, you know what, it doesn't work for me. Everyone I've ever worked with that have given a fair try has benefited from it. Some of them have become meditators. Some of them just use as a way to cope, um, but it's hard work. Yes, it is very, I will sit down and within a minute, I'm like, oh, I could be doing this. Oh, I should do that. It's, it's really hard to, and I used to think, oh, it's all, I can't get my mind quiet. So I might not be doing it right, but just kind of observing, observing those thoughts and just sitting there kind of anyway, um, and getting into a, a different place with those thoughts. It is, it is very hard because I like to go, go, go and do, 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 um, especially first thing, like in the morning, if I'm trying, I have so much energy, but yeah, the struggle is real with the <laughs> regular yes. meditation for me. It is. And, and I think you're saying something so important for people to hear as they listen to this, right? That we have this assumption of what's right and wrong in meditation. And what it, the only thing I say is right is you sit and you tolerate and you stay with it and you observe, knowing that the only right thing is you showed up at the mat and you're sitting there, right? There is no magic thing that happens. And we don't do well with, you know, waiting for reward. None of us do. I don't. I'm like you in the morning. I just want to like get 20 things done before eight o'clock so that we're ready and going. That tends to exhaust us instead of giving us more energy is the reality though. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Delaney, you had said something on the show a while back about um, rather than telling yourself, oh, I just, I don't have time for that to be honest with yourself and say, it's just not a priority. 
Yeah. And that has always for meditation been like the biggest thing for me because I always in a day have 10 minutes to meditate, no matter how busy the day is, there's always 10 minutes, but I so often don't make it a priority because like you guys said, when I wake up, I'm same as you where I just, I, I feel behind always the second I wake up, even if I've woken up early or on time, I'm always like, I just, I have to get things done. And so then I go, I'll, I'll meditate later, but then I'm tired And I'm like, now, well, now I just want to go to bed. <laughs> so I never, <laughs> you really do have to, you have to care. And I think a lot of us, like you said, don't like that slow progress. We want an immediate result. It's yeah. meditating is not a very flashy, fun thing. <laughs> now there's no few Peloton clothes that come with it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. but, yes. but, you know, Cassie, I love what you said because, you know, I don't have time for it is how we avoid the things that are important to us, right? And I talk about this in my book, like what matters the most? What are our values? And how do we align actions with values? Mm-hmm. And often we prioritize everything else that is for the outside world. And we forget to put our physical and emotional health. And, and the way I think about this is like, if I had a doctor's appointment, would I just not do it? No, I'll show up. Yeah. Like if I made that doctor's appointment, I'm going to show up. And so whenever I think about meditation or my exercise, I think about this as a doctor's appointment. You know, it's important because I'm an appointment with myself and I am going to attend that because I can't reschedule it. And I think learning to align your life that way, am I today putting myself there? My values are in my calendar. That at least for me gives me a sense of like, oh, I can't just put this aside. It is important. Yeah. I love thinking about it as a doctor's appointment. I'm a big fan of like tricking your brain into taking better care of yourself. And I, I, that's what I do with my calendar. When I schedule my vacation, I tell myself, this is going to grow my business by taking this break. I have to show up the way that I would show up to a work appointment and a meeting. Are there any other like mindset (laughs) tricks or hacks that you have told people that have helped them with like showing up and taking better care of themselves? So I think a couple of things that um, I often say to my patients and I I practice one is like, do the thing you don't want to do at all. First thing in the morning. So if there's anything in your to do list, that is the most, the thing you don't want to do it, wake up and do it. Right. This is under approach, not avoid. We often tend to like, you know, eat the dessert first and like do the stuff that we like first. But the reality is in the morning, your brain sharper, you tend to be able to focus better. And if you get that out, then the rest of the day feels much better. Right. So like that approach, not avoid, I think is really helpful. The other one is really sort of shifting perspective. So every time you find yourself stuck, right, you're working out your business and you're thinking about it and your brain goes, oh, I can't do this. Or some of those negative thoughts that we have. Just ask yourself, what would I tell my best friend here? Just in that moment, because we never talk to other people the way we talk to ourselves. Let's be honest. We'd have no friends, right? Like, like, I'm off today. Oh, no, you can't do this. You're imposter. Right. So I think just shifting perspective often helps as well. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, We just had one of my favorite YouTube beauty gurus on the podcast and uh, we were talking about to-do lists and trying to be better with making reasonable to-do lists. And I said something very similar to what you just said about um, like if we talk to ourselves or if we talk to friends the way we talk to ourselves, we we wouldn't have friends. And I was like, try to make your to-do lists in a way that you would make it for a friend because we so often like make these insane to-do lists that are not really attainable in a day. But if you had to, like, if I had to make one for you, Delaney, 
Yeah. I would probably put like three things on there because I wouldn't want you to fucking hate me, right? Like it's like you just want to be like reasonable. Exactly. But we don't do that. We expect so much of ourselves. Yes, absolutely agree. That's a great, that's a great hot tip too. Like you do this like you would for a friend or like an employee that you really love who works in your business that you don't want to um, quit the next day. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's like, yeah, I think long-term. Yeah, it's in your brain. Like it's literally when we see through somebody else's point of view, we're taking that sort of third person, which takes us away from the emotional brain. I think we get stuck because we're looking at the to-do list as Kelsey is talking about. And you're like, I have to do this. And the emotional brain saying, you have to do more, you have to do more, you have to do more. Instead of your your critical brain, your thinking brain saying, wait a minute, you can't really do that. But when you're looking at somebody else, you don't have that anxiety. So your brain is not being robbed from the ability to focus. And that's why it's so effective. Yes. Could you speak more about the emotional brain versus critical brain or how we can like get ourselves out of the emotional brain more often when we catch ourselves in these loops? Absolutely. So I think about this very simplistic, right? Um, The emotional brain is often what we call the amygdala or your fight, flight, or freeze. So you face to face with a bear, you better run, right? Otherwise, we'd be having this lovely conversation. (laughs) That's our emotional brain. Then the prefrontal cortex, which is the front part of your brain, your thinking brain, is the one that you organize, you plan, you think critically. And the two of them compete for energy, such that if you are fully in your emotional brain, it's really hard to focus. Why is that? Because you do not have to think to run, right? You just don't. Like if you're face-to-face with a bear, you better run. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever went for a jog, but you don't have to sort of think, oh, I'm going to go for a jog. And this like, you don't, you go for a jog. Right. So that fight, flight or freeze comes from the emotional brain, which robs our ability to think critically. And so the idea here is if you want to have less anxiety is to really be able to activate your thinking brain as much as you can. So asking yourself, how can I do it to do less for my best friend or, you know, for each other here? Then you're basically using your thinking brain. Research shows that it calms down your emotional brain. That's why. In cognitive behavior therapy, you ask people to write their homework is because writing activates your thinking brain. Thinking brings on, there's less of the emotional brain. Um, and it's really important because our emotional brain responds to an email from your boss, a comment from a coworker, the same way it does to a bear, right? That physiology happens the same way. It's just that nowadays in modern life, when it happens, we try to avoid, oh, can't do this, too anxious, got to do something else. And that's the opposite of what we should do. We should be activating our thinking brain and getting back online so that we can keep living a life that goes towards what we care about instead of running away from it. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably why I like journaling so much because it helps me move from that emotional part into processing it because I'm writing. That's exactly right. It gets out of your brain. It slows down the brain. You probably noticed that. Yes. Right? Because mm-hmm. if you're really worried, if you're journaling, you're basically slowing down. You can't write as fast as you think. At least right. I can't. I don't know if you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I like, I really appreciate still doing the old school pen to paper as opposed to typing a journal or typing thoughts or, you know, even putting things in your phone. It's just, there's something about it that really does force you to slow down. It's kind of like meditating in that way. <laughs> Yes. And actually, there is research that shows that there's been a study done of patients doing homework on the computer versus pen and paper on cognitive behavior therapy, and people get better faster if they're doing pen and paper. Oh, I love, I love oh. knowing the science stuff behind it, you know? Oh, that's so cool. 
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm a, I'm a really big fan of asking myself like very deep questions. And I is that... Is that something that can pull you out of those moments too, where I like I'll I'll tell myself, and this might be so- sounding like really heavy to a lot of people, but if this was my last day today, would I be happy that I'm spending it on this activity? Or, or um, in five years, is this thing going to matter? Or you know, like how you spend your time is how you spend your life. Just to kind of get myself out of like whatever weird perfectionist loop that I'm in. Is that an example of going from emotional to critical thinking brain, or something else happening? No, I think you're right. I think it's taking perspective, right? You're basically going away from the emotions and the running of the brain to say, wait a minute, what matters to me? What I hear in your question, Delaney, is like, what really matters to me? You know, I used to joke to my team is like, if I die today, hit by a bus, like I want to make sure what I'm doing right now is meaningful. I want to make sure right now this matters. And for some people, as you said, maybe that is too drastic of a question, but to me, it's like the reality, every moment counts. And I wanted to count in the things that matter most. And if you're doing that, you tend to be happier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was going to ask, um, when it comes to uh, CBT, could you give us an example of like what that means in maybe like a daily situation, how somebody might apply that to their way of thinking? Absolutely. So um, if I may, I'll just use the simple example that I started with was sort of like running brain, right? But basically cognitive behavior therapy or CBT is the idea is that what you say to yourself, your thoughts affect how you feel, how you feel affect what you do. And they all ping pong, right? So if I say to myself, I'm going to totally suck at this podcast, I'm going to get really anxious and I might just not want to, you know, join you guys. I might say, well, my internet is out, which then would make me feel even more anxious. And then I'd be like, oh my God, really see imposter. You can't even show it up in a podcast. And then the brain starts to spin. In CBT, what we try to do is first create a pause. So we want to teach people this connection between thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Although this sounds simple, most of us don't pause and say, wait a minute, what was I saying to myself? Right? We get really anxious, the heart pound, and you're like, how did I get out of here? Instead of like, oh, I told myself that I'm an imposter, right? That, that association creates a pause. Once that pause exists, there's three sort of entryways, I think. One is through your thinking. Right. So in cognitive behavior therapy, you'd say, okay, if you're saying to yourself, I'm going to suck at this podcast, what would you say to your best friend? When was the last time in a podcast and you really sort of sucked? What is the worst that will happen? So you start to sort of look at your thoughts and ask about, is this true? Is this helpful to say this to myself? And by doing that, you end up sort of decreasing some of the emotions. And then when it comes to like behavior in CBT, we talk a lot about this idea that anxiety makes us avoid. So avoidance being anything you do to make yourself feel better. So the example I gave is, imagine I pretended that my Wi-Fi was down and I wouldn't be here. Well, that's avoidance. I'm avoiding the anxiety of being the podcast, for example. And so in CBT, we would teach somebody to approach. What is one thing you can do going towards that anxiety instead of moving away? So you wake up, you're feeling really anxious and you want to eat a cookie. Okay, can I go for a walk instead? 
right? I'm going to actually feel my anxiety. I'm going to take a walk. That's what we call opposite action, going opposite to that anxiety so that you actually take control. And then the last one is a more values-based, is aligning your life, as I said before, with what matters most, your values. And in acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a type of CBT, basically there's plenty of research that when you do what matters most, you have less stress if you're happier. And so the, the, the technicality of this is open your calendar, look at the next week, and look at how many things are there that are really meaningful to you, that you care about, right? If you care about impact in the world, what are you doing to do that? If you care about helping others, where is it there? If you care about wealth, you know, where are you building your business? And rearranging your schedule that way allows you then to be able to feel happier. Does that help? It's a lot in terms of CBT, but I was trying to separate the Absolutely. Key. Yeah, no, yeah. thank you for clarifying all that. So many, so many hot takeaways. Loving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole opposite approach thing of like going yeah. toward the thing. Oh, such a good reminder. So good. It's a little thing, right? That's what, when we think about opposite actions, like, oh, like well, how do I fight this anxiety? Well, if you're an emotion, but you can't fight it completely. So it's one little step, yeah. right? One step towards. I'm going to imagine that you're anxious about calling a friend. I'm just going to send a text today just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. And then right. maybe tomorrow you make that call, right? We don't have to be back on white, black and white on those things. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was curious how many um, patients of yours have had experiences with anxiety um, having to do with hormones. Because for me, my, my experience with anxiety is I remembered um, always having some anxiety when I was young. But then when I got onto hormonal birth control, I was on it for 13 years um, and had just really horrible anxiety the whole time. And, but I was on it for so long that I kind of had just begun to think that that's just who I was because I had been on it since I was 17. And when I got off of it, my anxiety symptoms dropped dramatically. I mean, I, I consider myself probably like a more anxious person than like if it's a spectrum, I think I'm closer to anxious than I am to not. But I wouldn't say anymore that I feel like I have GAD. And there was a point where I definitely felt like I did. So I'm just curious, have you experienced that with patients of yours with um, like the pill affecting them and stuff like that? Absolutely. In fact, I was talking to a patient yesterday and we were talking about her anxiety and even her menstrual cycle, um, even off the pill. Mm-hmm. And she just noticed that her hormones go up, the anxiety starts to go up. And then there's this like week before her period that she really starts to spin. Right. And we've been able to like identify and talk about, okay, what are the things we can do? Because now we can predict it, right? We yeah. Know mm-hmm. The PMS. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And, and you know what to do. Um, and that's one of the things I'd recommend to anybody listening to us is sometimes we just say, oh, it's just anxiety. It's nothing else. I think it's important to consider alternatives in anything, right? Yeah. Your for example, when you treat somebody with panic, the first thing I want to know is, are they, do they have a ear problem? Do they have inner ear problem? Because it can create some of the panic symptoms, mm-hmm. right? They have a heart condition. So I think it's important to not dismiss hormones and any of those things because they can mimic. The other one is hunger. I've treated so many patients that would literally say, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. I'm like, when is the last time you ate? Well, uh, like, I don't know, I don't remember. But oh. if you're really hungry, it can lead to anxiety. And the two get so mashed that you can't separate it. And sure. so really trying to sort of, again, think about it as just like, what is it I'm really feeling? What is it causing this? And what are some of the alternatives here? So that we can make sure that whatever we're addressing is really the root cause of it. 
Yeah. I, and it's one of those things that like, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. So I had been on it for so long that I didn't remember what my baseline was or what it felt like to not have that, uh, the synthetic hormones in me. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was, I was shocked at how different I felt on a day-to-day basis. So, um, yeah, I just wondered if, if you see that commonly with people. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful that you're sharing because anybody listening can also start thinking about that, right? Like I think, oh, yeah. as, you know, just being on it, you don't think about something else, um, yeah. but I think it's important to pause and evaluate as we are talking about again and again. Yeah. Yeah. I've been pretty vocal on the show about my experience with the pill. And I know that the pill is absolutely like the right move for a lot of people. So it's more, it's more just like, this was my experience. And if you are going through something similar, then it's something to consider for sure. Yeah. What are some other like physical symptoms of anxiety that somebody might not know is related to anxiety? Like for example, when I was younger, I had a lot of digestive issues that were directly related, related to my anxiety. Didn't really realize that. And I still to this day have no idea like what came first, the stomach issue that I got anxious about that caused, kept causing the stomach issue or that I was anxious and that and that caused digestive issues. Is there anything else like that, that we might not be aware of all the time? It becomes a chicken and egg, doesn't it? You don't know if yes. it's the physical symptoms that's leading to anxiety because they sort of feed each other. Um, so let's just, biologically, right? So if you're on fight or flight and freeze and you just ate, for example, then your body, what it does is shuts down anything that's not essential. So you just ate a big burger and now you get really anxious. The same thing would happen if you're face-to-face with a bear, your stomach stopped digesting. And because you don't need to digest, you run. And so you're either going to have stomach ache at a bath, or you're going to have diarrhea, right? The body just can't, you're just going to take it out. Um, you will sweat. Why? Because if you're fighting a bear or a ancestor, like you're, you're fighting somebody else, sweat brings your temperature down. But it also allows somebody not to um, hold you because you're slippery. So if you're fighting a cave person, you're slippery. So sweat is protective. Whoa, I've never heard that. That's fascinating. Fascinating. Holy shit. (laughs) You're going to have dizziness. Why? Because all the blood rushes from your head to your extremities so that you can then tense up to fight, flight, or freeze. So you're, you're going to have lightheaded, you're going to have some dizziness, then you're going to have muscle tension. Why? Because you're tensing up your entire body to fight, flight, or freeze. Um, tingling sensations often happen, cold and um, hot, right? You don't know where your body is. All of those are examples, eye change, um, sight changes. So your um, pupils will get really like precise there and, and you change your vision. That's why people get spots. I treat lots of patients. They're like, I have all this light spots. I don't know what it is. It's anxiety. That's what it is. Um, if you're really anxious and you can test this, not the people listening to us, but you can test it. Like if you look at a, a light and you just stare at it in a black room and you close your eyes and then you do it again, you're going to get a bunch of light spots. Right. And so that's what happens, but you're going to fight, flight or freeze. So a lot of those sensations that we get, they're sort of normal biologically are actually also anxiety. Jeez. Wow. It's incredible. It's yeah. incredible what the body can do. I all right though. It's, it's incredible. Like I yeah. kind of think about this as like my body's doing what's supposed to do. It's just, there isn't a bear here, but it's doing what's supposed to do. Like Still your heart pounds. Like, 
Like it needs to have enough blood circulating. I, I, I said this to a patient the other day, she's complaining her heart pound. And I said, you know, my heart pounds too, but usually I go, okay, I'm, I'm excited. Like I, I reframe it immediately. Like, oh yeah, I'm excited. Versus like, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. But right. the same kind of heart pounding. Right. Do you think we're ever going to grow out of that shit as a species who doesn't need to be like scared of bears walking down the street? Like, do you think we're going to evolve to be less anxious or do you think that's always going to be there? I'm just curious about your professional opinion <laughs> on like the evolution, the evolution of mankind, <laughs> womankind. <laughs> wow. My crystal ball will tell me. Um, <laughs> I don't. So I hope we never evolve from fight or freeze as an adaptive response. I think that is necessary. I think what I hope, and, and I, it's really what I dedicate my career these days, is that we evolve from this response um, that is now become automated that's anxiety, that we learn to be able to work off our brains better and retrain it in such a way that an email from your boss doesn't trigger the same response, that your body can go, wait a minute, this is not a real threat. This is a false alarm. And that's something we can train. I mean, I, I talked to my five-year-old at home about this. When he starts, I'm like, what are you feeling? What part of your brain is that coming from? Like, oh. do you really have to be scared about this? What are you scared about? And yeah, of course, I'm a psychologist and I'm like teaching my kids <laughs> to do this. But there's plenty of data on just labeling emotions, right? Part of, I feel the whole field called emotion regulations. If you label emotions, they lose their ability to be as strong. So if you can say, I'm feeling frustrated and irritable instead of just pissed off, you actually tend to have more range of emotions, which creates less of that response. And so that I hope we evolved the real bear. No, I, I, I still wouldn't run. I don't know about you, but I'm going to yeah. run. Yes. yes. Man, <laughs> totally, your, totally. your kid is going to be such a great partner someday in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Like he is going to be asking all the right questions and be able to communicate his feelings so clearly. That's so great. That's your emotional brain. <laughs> <laughs> He did that. say that to me, and I was like, okay, maybe I'm going too far. Yeah, but he's like, how about my emotional brain? I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh, great. Okay, so this might, again, might be kind of heavy, but this is how my brain thinks. And for me, I have a lot of like um, death anxiety or fear of death anxiety. And for me, whenever I think about like the reality of really all of us, right? We're all going to die someday. Nobody knows when or how or what, all that stuff. That I feel like almost impossible to feel calm when my mind goes there. It's, it's immediately anxious. Is there anything that you share with people or help them through that particular kind of anxiety? So let's slow it down for a little bit. And it sounds like both of you talk very openly in the podcast. So help me understand then, Delaney, what happens when you think about death? What does your brain say to you? Like, what's going on? Walk me through your brain. Oh my gosh, this is so interesting. Okay, so I think I think like, oh my God, um, I don't have enough time to do everything that I want to do in my lifetime. How how in the world am I going to prioritize everything? Because I have so many interests. Is it going to hurt? I'm I'm really scared. It's going to be painful. What the fuck happens after this? Uh, will I ever see my family again? It's just a list of all kinds of crazy shit like that. Um, and yeah, that's probably the gist of it. It's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to miss my husband. That's sad. You know, like all, all these things. But that is sad, right? That is sad. I mean, missing yeah. somebody, like the idea that you won't be there, it, it is sad. Yeah. And but what happens when you feel that sadness? What do you do? I'm going to miss my husband and then what? Um, 
I try to be grateful for him and do something, you know, to like make myself feel better. Like, oh, maybe I should spend, let's do a nice dinner tonight or something. So I do try to like use it to get me into action, but sometimes it's so overwhelming where like, I don't really feel like doing shit except for like being freaked out on my couch and not wanting to go outside, you know? (laughs) Well, absolutely. Because you're talking about the simple thought of like, if I die, I won't get to do everything I care about, which is sort of like a, what do we say? The surface level thought, you know? So then I'm going to be all alone. I'm never going to see my family again. I'm going to miss my husband. What is the purpose of life? Right. Right. And then when you get there, my sense, what I hear you saying is, then you want to run from it. You don't want to feel that sadness. Right. You want to just run it. And I'm not suggesting you sit and just feel that sadness. But often when we have those thoughts, they're so upsetting that we try to just push them away versus like facing reality does not mean we like reality. It is hard. I mean, I'm with you talking about my five year old. He says to me, so what happens when you die? And then my eyes swallowed up. I was like, shit, I don't want to think about this. And I had to pause and I said, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And I think what gets harder for everybody and you are sharing with us is this uncertainty. Uncertainty is hard. You don't know what's going to happen. And so my recommendation for you is when it starts, catch it early. Right. Instead of like you're already dead and you're missing your husband, let's sort of back up a little bit and go, wait a minute. What can I do? Right. To manage uncertainty, we have to control what we can and then accept what we can't. So. If that's your work, what are the three things I can do about work today that are really going to be towards what I matter? Because to your point earlier in the podcast, which I loved, I died tomorrow, at least I died doing something I really cared about, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the things that you really can approach and do, I think it's very excellent. The other one is some of this is just sad and I'm not going to lie to you. We can't run from it. It is like, especially when you're in a moment that you really enjoy life and you are somebody that you love. It is sad. And emotions are not the problem. It's what we do with them. So if we don't allow that sadness to come up, then it becomes anxiety. It becomes depression. And so I encourage you to just have a moment and be like, yeah, this is going to be really hard. And then go to the things that you can do to make your life better today. Dealing with uncertainty, which I'm with you. It's not comfortable. That's really good advice. Cause I like to just skip the part of like, oh, this is going to be sad. Let me just sit with this for a moment. I like to skip to like, okay, let's, what can I do about this so I can avoid it? But I'm going to do that the next time I feel that way. I just think it's wild that we don't know what the fuck happens. I truly, I think about that so much. Like, isn't it weird that we know a lot of things about being here, but we don't know that thing. It, It, the, the uncertainty part, like you said, is just so strange to me, but, um, that was very helpful. Thank you. Thank you for letting me unload on you. <laughs> yeah. No, thank no, no, you. No, this, this is, this is a pleasure. <laughs> and we all go there, right? Like I think emotions is one of the most misunderstood things because we're thought that they are bad. We only want the happy ones, the unhappy ones we are run with, but emotions, you know, the ones that we're allowed to exist, they burn hot, but they go down. Like, you know, if you, you experience that sadness and you let it go, you go on with your day and it's not carrying with you. It's not that depression that lingers. Um, so that's my recommendation. I think I've asked everything I wanted to ask. You've been such a wonderful guest. Thank you for coming on. Yes. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Where can people find more about you, your work, and if there's any last kind of things that you'd like to share? Sure. Um, you can find me at drluana.com, on Instagram at drluanamahis. Um, my most 
exciting thing is I have a book called Bold Move, A Three-Step to Transform Anxiety into Power. It's coming out June 20th by HarperCollins. And I'm really proud of this book because I talk about my trajectory from poverty to Harvard. I talk about the skills that I use to manage my own anxiety in addition to my patients. And I try to really give real life examples that we're all in this together, but there is a way to change the brain. So um, that's what I'm most excited about today. Well, Ooh, congratulations. To yeah, that yes, sounds really, congrats. really good. What an accomplishment. Cannot wait to read that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, really a pleasure. Man, what a guest, huh? This is an episode that I'm going to re-listen to and take, yeah. like, jot things down because she had so many great takeaways and honestly, like, quotes and phrases that I want to be able to remember, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, like, what was that one? The um, approach versus avoid. Like, those things, yes. those, like, quick little tidbits you can tell yourself. Oh, delicious. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, the approach versus Loved avoid it. thing. I think there's such a positive domino effect that happens when you approach something too, because at least for me, I, I know I can have a negative avoid domino effect. If I'm like, you know what, the thought of doing this thing that I've been putting off is stressing me out. I'm just going to get on my phone for a sec, man, yeah. the rabbit hole I can go down of killing time on my phone. And then I'm like, oh man, now I've gotten way off track. Totally. And I think a big, big, really big takeaway was like, yeah, the fact that like, I um, definitely try to avoid sadness. I'm like, well, why? I mean, that's, that's an emotion. And I love the fact that she said, you know, we believe that like emotions are bad and they're not bad, you know? And it's like, we associate negative or positive with different emotions. So I loved it. So many just good nuggets and just good reminders for your day to day. So totally. Yeah. All that, all that toxic positivity (laughs) stuff. It's like, it is so uncomfortable to accept that there are things in this life that are just painful and suck and are sad and it just like is what it is yeah but I think sometimes not fighting that reality is at least like a step in the right direction but right I don't know it's all hard yeah um we have an iTunes review of the episode and this looks like it's about to be very very sweet this is from Emma Lou says you got me through college I started listening to this podcast my freshman year of college and I still listen to it as a post-grad wow (laughs) that's amazing to think about (laughs) I know like to think about how long we've been doing this show and that it totally spans somebody's right years and into grad years or post-grad oh my gosh um Delaney Taylor and Kelsey have been so inspiring to me as women thriving with unconventional lives slash career paths I've also learned so many good tips to help with my mental health through the years. No matter what I'm going through, I know there's an episode I can go back to that will be just what I need. I'm going to cry. Even though Taylor is gone, (laughs) I'm glad y'all are still doing the podcast. I see you two as the big sisters I've ever had, giving me advice and comfort. Keep doing what you do with a heart. Oh my God, I can't. Oh my God, I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I feel like it's been a while uh, since I've had a review that really got me. Yeah, Emma Lou, so nice. you got us, bitch. You really you got it, bitch. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> you found the cry button. Um, man. Oh, thank you, Emma. Wow. Emma Lou. What Emma a Lou. great name, too. What a fabulous name. Um, thank you for taking the time. That is just, it means so much to, to take a few minutes. And and I need it. I want to start doing that more when I think about it, too, is like sending messages or sending things or leaving reviews about things or people or whatever that really helped me. 
And this is always just a good reminder of me to, to, to maintain that habit too. Cause I, I feel how like impactful it is to receive it. So God. it's yeah. just, uh, I mentioned during the episode about having Jamie Page on, um, one of my favorite YouTube beauty people. And, and I was telling her on the episode, it's like, I, w- I think a lot of us have comfort shows, comfort music, comfort things, right? That um, are, uh, I don't want to say like predictable because that sounds negative, but they're, um, they're comforting. Yeah. You, you go Familiar. there knowing um, who the person is and what you're getting, right? right. And uh, because sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes if you're feeling a lot of uncertainty in your life or you're stressed, you're anxious, you want something that provides that comfort. And I was just telling her that she and um, some of her other YouTube beauty uh, colleagues are that for me on the road. And so to get a message like this about that self-helpless provides comfort and that it's like something that you could go back and find an episode that is speaking to like what you're going through. Yeah. That blows my mind that we could do that <laughs> for somebody yeah. because it means so much to me when people do it for me. So Emily, thank you for taking the time to let us know. Cause like, it truly means so much to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, feel free to leave a, leave an iTunes review because it might get read. It very might, might well get on the show. Very yeah. well might. <laughs> yes, please, please. Yeah. It's, it's such a great way for us to hear from you guys and connect with you and it also as a bonus you know as a free way to help the show because it does help um our itunes ratings and reviews and all of that absolutely thank you um okay let's get into some some good shits and some some what's going on do you have something you want to share Adele? i do i actually have a the fuck moment like a holy fucking shit wow i'm excited we haven't had one of these in a while i know it's uh it was very jarring do you do you have something should we start with something insanity or do you have something nice (laughs) should we start with the cherry or the poop (laughs) i think i kind of want some poop just because it's like i'm so i'm so intrigued okay okay so oh my god all right, this might get a little bit personal graphic if I, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lady issue, okay? So, you know. Um, okay, so I woke up on New Year's Day and I went to the bathroom and I wiped myself and I had the size of a fucking golf ball just about on the bottom of my labia. Okay. So I don't know if anybody has, has heard of what a Bartholin cyst is, but that's what I had. Um, it was incredibly jarring. I felt it immediately. I started freaking out. I I get like very freaked out woozy about things that are like shocking. So I almost like passed out on my bed because I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is it. I'm, I'm dead. I'm dying. This is how I go out. I got a fucking, I got a puss lump and this is how I die. This is what it is going to be on the gravestone. And I'm, I'm dead. I, this is how, this is it. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's a, it was very large. I luckily Googled right away of just like, you know, lump, like lump down there. And there's tons of message boards. There's tons of information. And like the first posting I saw was something like, what, like, what is this lump? And it's a cyst. It is like, and the fact that I'm 32 years old, just finding this out that this could happen to the female body again, blows my fucking mind. I've never heard of this, right? I had never heard of it, Kels, until it fucking was on me. And I'm like, why are we not being told this shit? Right. Um, it's basically, it's called a Bartholin cyst. 
And 2%, 2% of women will have it in their lifetime. They do not, there's a few um, things that may or may not cause it, but they truly don't know what causes it. It's basically like getting a pimple down there, but because there's so many glands, instead of it being like a pimple size on your face, it can grow to the size of a fucking grapefruit. It can grow enormous, enormous. A grapefruit? Right? Yes, it can get huge. So I am like, oh my God, uh, th- this is truly insane. There are a couple things that they say, you know, it could be an STD. I, I was, I ruled that out. I'm just with my husband and same thing. Um, it could be like an E. coli thing. I really did not do anything out of the ordinary around that. Don't think that's what it was. Um, I haven't, I have a theory of what happened because it's basically like a blockage of your gland. You have two Bartholin glands, I believe that are down there and they're responsible for secreting the wetness and stuff when you become aroused and things like that. Okay. Um, for the past like two years or so, I have been using a menstrual cup during when I menstruate, when I have my period. Yeah. And, and I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to do that this month. I'm just going to use tampons for, for my period. And um, that's what I use. But I hadn't used tampons in like almost two years consistently okay. for a whole period. And so I don't think it was, um, I don't think it was unrelated that, that I developed that towards the end of my period. I think that maybe caused some kind of a blockage because I know that tampons can lead to yeast infections and things like that. And the fact that my body hadn't had it, that's my theory. I have no idea. My gynecologist was like, we don't know. And we don't know how to prevent them. It's just kind of a shitty thing that can happen to some people. It doesn't mean that it's going to come back. Anyway, so long story short, um, I made an appointment, but I couldn't get in for like another week. And what people say is that sometimes the cyst will go down on its own and you don't have to go in and get it looked at or anything like that. It just goes away. It's like maybe it drains on its own, whatever. Mine was not going away. So it just got bigger and more painful. It's very hard to walk. It was very hard to sit down. Um, So by the time I got in there, I know this is, this is very graphic, you guys, but I swear to God, if, if, if any females are listening, you need to know that this could happen to you. And so that way the, your first thought isn't, oh my God, I'm dying of like vulva cancer. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I had to get in there. They had to give me a shot inside of my lips and whatever the fuck. Right. Oh. Yeah. So to numb me, and then they had to give me an incision in in it inside, right? It's not like, oh, you're poking the lip. It's inside. And then manually get rid of it and drain it. It was, it sucked. It was fucking horrible. Um, it was not fun. My doctor was really great. Um, but like, yeah, it was, it was not my favorite way to start off my New Year's and uh, New Year, new me. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. So it was, yeah, that, that happened. And that was like my, holy shit. How much more am I going to learn about my body in my thirties, forties and on that? I, like, I wish somebody would have told me at some point it was just, I just feel like we keep getting reminded of like how so many, uh, like systemically medical systems, doctors and things have failed women by not educating us in different ways. And this was just like another thing. Um, and, uh, so I called, I called my mom. She had never had one, but she told me that my grandma has had one before. So I don't know if it's genetic or what, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's what it was. And, um, 
watch out for those puss lumps, ladies, because uh, they can oh. come. They can come out of nowhere. Oh so my that's my God. theory. Yeah, that's my theory is what happened. Because, you know, like I've, I've had one uh, UTI in my life mm-hmm. and I knew exactly how I got it the moment I got it. Right, right. I know exactly what happened. With this, I was like, nothing was out of the, the ordinary for my body, except that I went from using a, a cup to, yeah. to like thick tampons. And I'm like, maybe that caused some kind of a blockage that my body wasn't used to. And, um, I, I literally had soreness down there for maybe two, three days before I found the lumps would so obviously was getting bigger without me realizing, yeah. but I just thought it was a little bit sore from, again, I know it's a lot of information, but I think it's important. Sometimes yeah. you, you pull a tampon out towards the end of your period and there's not much there. So it's just a little bit harder to get out. Yeah. So I just thought that I, it was like some tenderness from like an internal, like scratch or something. Sure. No, it was a fucking golf ball. I'm a puss. I'm a puss. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I had a call Cam and I was like, look, I don't want you to be worried, but like, we're not gonna be able to have sex for a while. And I'd rather just tell you up front. So it's not like jarring to you. And the next time I see you, but, uh, you know, so yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank you. For, <laughs> I mean, that was very kind and very generous of you <laughs> to share that on such a public platform. Yeah, people got to know. Because if I had heard somebody talk about something like this years ago, I wouldn't have woken up scared that I was dying. I would have been like, right. oh, I've heard about this. This is the Bartholin, probably. I'm going to go get it checked out. But instead, yeah. it was like, oh, my God, this is obviously a tumor. Right. Like, that's a horrible way to spend any amount of time. Yeah. You know? But oh, yeah. I am so incredibly sorry that you went through that. That is just an unbelievable nightmare. Hey, you know, uh, thank you. It's all good. I'm just, um, let me be your PSA for, you know, watch out for the puss lump and start feeling around there. Um, <laughs> start, start feeling around there regularly before it gets to be uh, yeah. so big. Cause I just, I wasn't, I'm not feeling around there all the time. I just, Go about my day like anybody else. <laughs> New merch for the pod coming soon. Watch out for the puss lumps, apparently, because <laughs> puss lumps on fire on fleek. <laughs> oh my god! But you said that only like two percent of women. I mean, that's not very money. No, and that's I th- I'm sure that's why. Like, I really have never heard of this before. Yeah. But, um, you know, two percent. If I guess if we if we thought about all the the billions of oh sure i guess that's quite a bit but um yeah no i mean thank god it's only a small percentage i would be horrible if this was like as uh as kind of like normal or regular as as some other things that we have to deal with but not fun dude oh my god yeah so So anyway hey it's all right thank you i'm glad we started with this because i'm excited to hear about what you got going on for your segment this week (laughs) well i moved into a new place yeah my boyfriend and um i'm so excited to get um we're gonna use one of the rooms as a little podcast studio um so he can record his podcast too and uh so right now I'm, i'm in the living room we don't have it set up yet but um yeah it's just been it's just been a dream it's it's this place is so nice and um 
I just, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy. So Yay! that's my yeah. good shit. Congrats. That is a very good shit. That's like a big time good shit. Right Thank there. you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Big time good shit for sure. So, so awesome. that's my update. I love um, it. Not nearly. I mean, like it's eventful. <laughs> But what you went through was something else entirely. So. Two different kinds of eventful on this spectrum today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Our updates. Yeah. Um, well, I'm but, sending yeah. healing thoughts to your puss. Cause, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, puss lump. Uh, yeah. It's it's real. It's a real thing. And, yeah. hey, want help growing your business? <laughs> hey, I got a puss lump. You want me to help you grow your fucking revenue? Come on over. DelaneyFisher.com. Oh, my God. We'd love, love to have you. You're Take outrageous. Your grow your money. You Get are money. outrageous. <laughs> you do your, you outdo yourself in your outrage. Oh, gosh. Um, and I never try to. Oh, Speaks well, that's so the beauty of it. It's It's authentic. Yeah. It's organic. It's homegrown. Uh, homegrown, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well. Uh, so, yeah, go go to Delaney's website. Go to KelseyCook.com. Get those tour date tickets. Uh, and see you guys on the road. And we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you soon, everybody. Right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. 